Hello, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for January 13th, 2021. I am your host, Tom Hollingsworth, and joining me this week, as always, is my jovial co-host, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, thanks for joining us this week. How are you? Um, I don't know if I'm jovial. I mean, Tom, it's 2020 into 2021. I don't think anybody's jovial, unfortunately, but I'll do my best. Well, uh, I have a box of jovial that's being sent to your house. Hopefully, it will get there in time. Um, but the other thing that we have a lot of around here is news. It seems like the news cycle finally caught up with us as we were uh, putting stories together for this uh, episode. So let's dive right in uh, to some of the smaller stories that uh, you know we're going to jump in and maybe have a little bit of a short conversation about. Uh, the first one is uh, F5. They, uh, they finally decided to do something with all that Christmas money, and they're going to purchase Volterra. Um, the company is known for its multi-cloud security and application acceleration software. Uh, the valuation of the acquisition is somewhere in the neighborhood of about $500 million. The solution is going to allow customers to transition between providers, and uh, they're going to do this weird abstraction thing where you can send data from one cloud to the other. Hopefully, that's something that customers are interested in. Um, the move is widely seen to be something that's complementing a lot of the Nginx acquisition pieces that were picked up back in 2019. Um, Stephen, I know that Nginx and F5 are companies that you're familiar with. Um, is this something that F5 is looking to do to bolster their uh, cloud chops, as it were? Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that's, um, you know, this, I don't want to say it's a predictable merger because I didn't think that they were going to buy Volterra specifically, but, um, you know, it's not a bad one. Um, I think that what we're seeing is that a lot of companies that are getting into uh, sort of uh, next generation uh, enterprise cloud offerings like uh, Nginx was, and, and, and that's the reason that F5 bought them, uh, they're seeing a hole in their uh, offerings when it comes to security, SD-WAN, you know, networking. I mean, it's the same old story. You've got the, the various pillars of enterprise app, uh, architecture, you know, whether it's storage or networking or compute. And uh, you know you've got to make sure that you're filling all those things in. That you've got orchestration. You know that uh, nowadays, obviously, you have to be with uh, you know orchestrating with Kubernetes. Um, and and frankly, Nginx didn't have all that. Um, they had a lot, and they had some great great offerings. And it really helped uh, you know kind of bring F5 into the modern. Uh, you know, sort of next generation data center space, but they needed a little more. So uh, with Volt Mesh and Volt Stack and Volt Console, um, you know, integrated with, uh, you know, the stuff that uh, Nginx is working on, I think this is going to be a good offering. Um, you know, I, I look at this and I say, huh, yeah, that tastes good. I'm, I'm happy with that menu item. You know, it's, uh, it, it, and you know, that's, I think that, that we're probably going to see more acquisitions of this sort too from various companies, but it, it sets up F5 pretty nicely. And uh, honestly, I'm pretty impressed with the directions that F5 is heading as a company. So another company that's uh, moving into the future, Tom, is uh, SolarWinds. Now, this was our big story from 2020. And it was a big story from the last episode of The Rundown. Uh, Chris Krebs uh, didn't have to wait for long to get his uh, next gig after being uh, unceremoniously dumped by the executive branch. Uh, the former head of CISA was announced as an independent consultant for SolarWinds, which is obviously looking to repair the damage caused by the uh, Sunburst exploit. Uh, the company that Krebs founded and uh, also employs uh, Alex Stamos, former head of security for Facebook. Uh, you know, the move brings two people with positive reputations in the security community uh, together. And uh, frankly, it looks like a positive move for SolarWinds as well. Uh, what does this look like to you, Tom? 
Well, I think that this is the first step that SolarWinds has really taken that says that we're serious about figuring out what happened and fixing the problem. Sure, if you're a SolarWinds customer or if you've ever downloaded one of their free tools, you probably got an email from their CEO uh, sometime either late last week or early this week. And the CEO basically said, well, I just showed up and this is horrible. So he made the first move to go get this company, which was founded by Krebs and Stamos, and kind of bring them in as, uh, think of them like the expert troubleshooters, except we're going to root out all the problems that have been going on and fix them. The good news to me is you pick two people who are widely regarded as experts in their field in the community, especially when you consider that one of them worked for a unpopular administration and the other one worked for an unpopular robotic simulation of a human being that runs a social media network. But both of them are nice people that everyone listens to. That's the kind of group that you wanna bring in as an independent third party consultant to go, y'all got to change some stuff around here. So I look forward to seeing what they have to say. I don't necessarily know that the people at SolarWinds are gonna like what they have to say because they're gonna they're gonna hold their feet to the fire, but this is a good move overall, I'm happy about it. Yeah, if there's one person in the industry with uh, serious credibility right now in uh, security, it's Krebs. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it's amazing. He's one of the only people that comes out of this administration really smelling like a rose. And, um, you know, I think that if, if there's anyone who can help SolarWinds, it's going to be Krebs. Yeah, fingers crossed that he can do some good over there and, and that he and Alex uh, continue to keep their, their profile pretty high. Um, Stephen, the French company Atos is also looking to make a, another acquisition. They've announced an offer to buy DXC, which you may not have heard of, but you may have heard the company they spun out of, um, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Uh, the deal, which is a, a nice $6.7 billion, is aimed at reducing costs to provide IT services while uncovering new revenue. Now, if you think that that sounds like a whole bunch of marketing speak, let me break it down for you. There is this thing called a pandemic and it has forced IT services companies to look at the way that they plan on adapting their thing. It turns out that when everybody's working from home, you don't need to outsource as much IT, but you do need to transform your business. And so I think that, that uh, the, the smart money is saying that Autos is looking to pick up DXC to help augment their transformation instead of just providing simple IT services. But the question is, is whether or not they're gonna be able to pick that up fast enough. Now, Steven, is this a good move for Autos? Is dropping $7 billion in the middle of a crazy market something that they really need to look forward to? Or are they gonna be flushing a lot of this money down the toilet in the hopes of finding something at the bottom that, that helps them make more money? Man, I don't know. Um, just full disclosure, I, uh, my, I, my whole uh, career before Gestalt IT was in the enterprise uh, computer services business. And, uh, you know, services is a funny business. <laughs> so uh, let's get that out of the way. But first, uh, as well, let me just uh, explain who are these people? So yeah, people might not know who Atos or DXC are or why this is a big story, but let me explain. Um, so um, DXC, I'm gonna start with them. DXC is actually CSC and electronic data systems and HPE consulting. Essentially what happened is, um, you know, CSC uh, was, uh, you know, founded in, in the 50s and uh, EDS was founded in the 60s. Um, you know, CSC and EDS, well, EDS uh, was purchased by Hewlett Packard uh, a long time ago. Um, and in 2015, HP split into HP Inc. and HPE. 
and HPE decided that they didn't really need the services business, and so they spun it out and merged it with CSC. So basically, that's who um, that's who one of the acquirers is. Uh, so DXC is basically EDS plus HPE plus CSC, um, and I know that a lot of people have heard of those companies. Atos, uh, on the other hand, is another one of those. When you hear it, you're like, wait, they're them too. So basically, they were a originally um, a company called Origin from the Netherlands. They became Atos Origin. They acquired KPMG Consulting. Yeah, KPMG. Um, Schlumberger, uh, one of their consulting businesses. Uh, Siemens, Bull Consulting, um, Xerox. <laughs> I mean, it's like, wait a second. They're all those companies? And now they're EDS and CSC and HPE as well. So this thing is huge and they do like just tremendous business. I mean, just, um, you know, for, for, for comparison, um, in 2019, which is the last year that we have full numbers for, uh, Atos did uh, almost 12 billion euro of services business. So this is just a massive, massive company and it just got a lot bigger. So the, the question is, is this important? Heck yeah. This company is the biggest, one of the biggest uh, gorillas on the market. Is it worth as much money as they paid? Um, I'm honestly real skeptical. Again, coming out of the services business myself, um, I'm not sure that big services acquisitions are ever worth the money because frankly, um, you know, services don't scale all that well. Basically, you know, you need people and people do the thing and you know, you, there's not that multiplier effect like software has or even hardware has. There's just, it, it's kind of a linear scaling. So essentially what we've got is we've got Atos scaling linearly, getting bigger, um, you know, doing more work with more companies and, and that's great. Um, will they be able to earn out the money? I don't know, but uh, you know, it happens. Uh, any thoughts, Tom? Service is just a hard business, and like you, before I before I came in here, I was I was doing services, and it's a lean thing. I mean, you're you're constantly trying to find revenue sources to to keep it going because it's not like you can release a new service every year and get people to pay again for it. So I think that this is this is trying to find synergy. This is squeezing that turn up a little bit harder to see what comes out. I hope that it works out for them because one of the things that investors love to see is, oh, you invested $7 billion. That means we're going to get $49 billion in revenue, right? And if you don't, well, that's when you start running into problems. So I hope that what they're looking for is there because if it's not something this big, well, when it crashes, it's not going to crash pretty at all. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, turning to a totally different topic, Tom, um, if you're a Ubiquity user, it's time to change your password. Uh, on Monday, the company announced that their IT systems had been breached. Uh, the incident occurred in a third-party cloud provider, and the company says that no user data was accessed, but they can't really confirm that, and uh, that's given people the little case of the willies here. Uh, on the bright side, the recommendation uh, to change your password is a pretty good one, and the recommendation to use two-factor authentication is even better. Um, are these breaches becoming a bit too ubiquitous, Tom? <laughs> yeah, they are. And, and I'm just going to uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I was listening to uh, an episode of a podcast recently. And uh, the thing that security people have been talking about for the last couple of years, I think, is really needs to be borne out. You need to assume that you've been breached right now. Whatever you're doing, just stop what you're doing and think to yourself, somebody is inside of my network. 
And if you work from that assumption that you can't keep them out, but you can keep them from getting around into things they shouldn't be into, that's going to change the way you look at security. And it's going to be a better move overall. Um, we could literally, and we have actually in, in a lot of cases, added a story to the rundown every week of somebody getting breached. That should be enough of a problem for you as the casual listener to understand that everyone is going to be breached. It's like the clock in Pacific Rim, you know, time to the next breach. The clock never stops. Somebody is going to get your data. So you need to find ways to enable all the things that you can. I mean, when you look back at the, uh, the SolarWinds hack, you know how they got found out? Because they tried to fake a two-factor authentication request. So 2FA works really, really well. You should enable that on all of your accounts. You should use unique passwords. You should limit the ability of people to get into your stuff, whether it's your wireless network or your passwords or anything else. So if you have good personal hygiene about the way that you do your own personal security, then these breach notifications will just kind of be like, oh, huh, another one. Yeah, I'll echo that uh, public service announcement. The more you know. Yeah, um, if you, uh, you should use a password manager, uh, you should use strong and unique passwords on every site, and you should use 2FA. And in fact, when it comes to 2FA, I will go further and say that cell phone SMS-based 2FA use authenticator codes. Uh, they're built into your favorite password manager. They rock. Um, use them. Well, Stephen, speaking of rocking, it looks like Red Hat's getting serious about container security. Uh, they're picking up StackRocks, which is a popular technology used to secure Kubernetes on cloud platforms like AWS, Microsoft, and Google. The plans are for the integration of the company to be disclosed after they finished acquiring it, but most people are pretty sure that this is going to end up in open shift because they need to bolster that hybrid cloud story that Big Blue IBM has been putting out in recent months. Uh, now, Stephen, this is not the first time that we've had a story about a Kubernetes startup being acquired. I think that the short list is somewhere in the neighborhood of four or five in the last three months. Um, is this signaling that the market has finally picked a horse and that now we're scrambling to augment our capabilities? Well, I think that the first thing to understand is OpenShift. So, I mean, OpenShift is Red Hat's uh, platform for cloud applications that uses Kubernetes. Um, OpenShift is a tremendously powerful platform, and IBM and Red Hat are pouring tons of money in, into it. And if you've been wondering, like, wait, why did IBM acquire a Linux distribution? No, IBM acquired OpenShift. That's what they wanted. And OpenShift is, re it really is a next generation enterprise application platform. Um, if you've tuned into Field Day at all in 2020, you've seen a lot of it. We did a special event uh, with OpenShift. Uh, I'm sorry, with, yeah, with, with Red Hat uh, about OpenShift, uh, and then we had them come back for you know Cloud Field Day and AI Field Day and Tech Field Day, and uh, there's a lot of information there. But like I said previously about F5 and Nginx, um, you know you can say the same thing about OpenShift. Uh, you know you can never have too much security, especially here in uh, 2021. Uh, Stack Rocks, um, they had a very respectable and respected uh, product. Uh, they do a bunch of different things across uh, Amazon EKS, uh, Azure Kubernetes Service, Google Kubernetes Engine, um, and uh, that's going to be integrated into OpenShift, and uh, frankly, that's great. In fact, you might even think maybe the reason that Red Hat is buying StackRox is to make sure that this company comes to OpenShift as its first 
you know, and primary platform because it's good technology. Um, that being said as well, I, I applaud uh, Red Hat for coming right out of the gate and confirming that they are going to continue to open source StackRox and they're gonna continue to support these other clouds. Um, this is, you know, this is what we want from, from the future Red Hat. So thanks for doing that. Um, anyway, so I mean, I, I think this is a good move. Um, is it the world's most exciting thing? Eh, probably not, but uh, you know, it's a pretty good move. Yeah, I, I'm happy to see that people are getting serious about this. Um, I, I just, I hope that this all pays off in the future. Um, my my ATM lane and my uh, my other dead technologies are are really hoping that that, that this is the way we're going to go. Well, Tom, you know, turning uh, to more substantive stories as well uh, on uh, here on the rundown, um, you know, we've got another uh, bit of well, I don't even want I don't know what to call it. Um, uh, just acquisition craziness going on here. Um, so Cisco, one of Cisco's acquisitions is not going so well as you might think. Um, late last week, optical vendor Acacia announced that they were terminating the merger they had announced way back in July of 2019. Uh, the reason stated was that uh, they didn't get the sign off from the Chinese regulators, which uh, we've been talking about here on the rundown again and again, whether it's the acquisition of ARM or Mellanox or uh, you know, any of these others. Um, Cisco sued to block the termination, uh, citing that they believe that the reason was that Acacia now believes that it's worth more and they just wanted to renegotiate the price tag. Um, Acacia has also filed a countersuit uh, refuting the Cisco claims. Uh, the bigger question is uh, what the heck is going on here with acquisitions and what's, what does this say about uh, the US and China and whether or not US companies are gonna be uh, impacted by China uh, regulators from China? Um, why did Cisco want to hold on to this Acacia acquisition, Tom, and where will this go? So you have to understand that Acacia is an optical vendor. And when you look at the roadmap for how a lot of the high-speed communications are going on in the future, you need very dedicated optical technology. I mean, we've seen it on the rundown. Or I'm sorry, we've seen it at Tech Field Day, where a lot of networking companies have been talking about their roadmaps to 400 gig, 800 gig, terabit Ethernet there isn't a copper thing to be seen. Um, silicon photonics is gonna be the next wave. So Cisco needed to bring on some more optical technologies. They needed some smarts in that business. And so they made this announcement back in 2019 that they were gonna make the acquisition. And then the pandemic happened and Cisco's on record as saying, yes, we're still acquiring Acacia. They're very important to us. Well, then the, the merger deal deadline of January the 8th, and they said, well, if we don't get regulatory approval, then the merger's null and void. And so people are just kind of looking around going, well, hey, is this gonna happen? Well, Acacia announced on the 8th that they're pulling out because they didn't get the acquisition sign-off. Well, Cisco then produces an email from a Chinese regulator like bureaucrat that said that mm, there's, I think you've satisfied the conditions of the questions, but that wasn't an approval. So this is where the fight is right now is that, Acacia wants to pull out because they want more money, either from Cisco or somebody else. Cisco doesn't want them to pull out because they've been working on this for a year and a half and they really want to have the technology. And then Acacia's like, nah, -uh. you said that this is required and then it wasn't. And so now, you know, the regulatory bodies are kind of sitting off in the corner going, we're going to take a really slow look at this. Whether or not we actually do it because we're curious or we just want to kind of mess with your business model. Who knows? And I think that that's going to be a bigger problem going forward in 2021. Um, with the change of an administration, 
that doesn't often lead to thawing of relations in that administration until the sides are able to feel each other out and do some negotiation. And there's been a lot of bad blood that's been slung over the last couple of years. So I don't necessarily know that Chinese regulators who are required to sign off on some of these deals because they involve a lot of different intellectual property are quite ready to come to the table yet. So if you're a company that's looking to be acquired and you're gonna to have to be approved by Chinese regulators, you need to make sure that your contracts are written in such a way so that there's not a possibility of it kind of, you know, the milk going bad in the fridge before you've opened it kind of thing, because that could very well happen. And if you're a company like Cisco, who's looking to make some big acquisitions to, to keep the, the steamroller going, you need to be on top of it and you need to make sure that you have all of your 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 things taken care of because you do not want to have your acquisition your merger sunk because someone's like well you forgot to put this word in the the deal yeah i um you know i don't know that there's anything that companies can really do to protect themselves from chinese regulators or american regulators for that matter i mean let's uh, make very make it very very clear that american and european union regulators are just as persnickety as uh, you know as the chinese and in fact um, i further feel that american regulators are um, maybe even less predictable because essentially the chinese regulators are going to do what's in best interest of the chinese economy uh, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, Mellanox approval, you know, holding off on that to make sure that they had access to another, um, you know, HPC interconnect, or whether it was, uh, you know, it's the current, you know, thing with ARM, uh, where I still don't think that China is ever going to approve letting ARM go to an American company that could theoretically, theoretically, keep it from being used in Chinese products um, until they have their own instruction set and, uh, and chip design, which you know I'm sure they're working on. Um, so uh, frankly, I feel like the Chinese uh, are, are more predictable. They are gonna block anything that interferes with the Chinese economy and with Chinese companies actually accessing these products. And clearly they think that this optical networking technology is something that they need access to. And they don't wanna risk having an American administration come in and say, uh, you know what, we're not gonna sell that to the Chinese anymore. And, and the Chinese are gonna say, nope, 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 we need this stuff. So yeah, I, I think that this is uh, part of a much, much bigger pattern of China looking out for itself and sticking up for itself in a way that we haven't seen um, other countries do apart from you know maybe the European Union when it comes to sort of data protection and privacy. So um, you know what does this mean for Cisco? I don't know. Um, you know what does this mean for the rest of the industry? Well, um, if you are a company that is lucky enough to be extremely successful in China, then you are also a company that is lucky enough to have your merger blocked by the uh, Mofcom because they want to make sure that they still have access to your technology. I think that that's you know, what's going to happen. And then there's the question of the price tag thing. Um, there's a very similar merger, by the way, that just closed. So Louis Vuitton just bought Tiffany. Um, that merger took over a year, a year and a half, and it was uh, like just riotously renegotiated in the court. Um, and it was all about the price tag with the pandemic. Um, I see shades of that here with Cisco and Acacia as well. I have a feeling that, uh, you know, Cisco and Acacia were like, hmm, I wonder if this changes the price. And maybe we can use the, all this stuff as an excuse to renegotiate an agreement that we made over a year ago. So, uh, so there's that aspect too. But, um, you know, I think the real story here is the fact that Mofcom is flexing their muscles and keeping companies uh, from merging that are going to negatively impact the Chinese economy.
All right, Stephen. Well, it's uh, it's CES season for those of you who are fans of consumer technology, and Intel has been a fixture at CES for a number of years, and they've had a couple of interesting uh, stories come out of CES around some of the chipsets that they're going to be uh, looking at in the future. Uh, one of those is their 12th generation Alder Lake mobile CPU setup, and the other one is the announcement that they are going to begin manufacturing Ice Lake Xeon CPUs. Now, this kind of melds some news about consumer as well as uh, enterprise. And since you're our chipset guru, I was hoping maybe you could give us a little bit of uh, some perspective on this. Absolutely. Thanks, Tom. And, um, you know, these are, are um, well, first, let me just point out that these are not announcements. They're not launches. They're not releases. These are sort of um, the sort of press release manufacturing announcements that Intel is want to make to make sure that they still have a bookmark in the book uh, when consumers are thinking about what to buy. So essentially, I'll start with Alder Lake. Uh, this is Intel's 12th generation CPU. And you could be forgiven for saying, wait a second, isn't the 11th generation, the Tiger Lake stuff, isn't that the new stuff? Uh, the answer is, yeah, uh, Alder Lake's not coming until later in the year. Um, Alder Lake is a big news story, though, for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, it, it has a big little architecture, kind of like um, we've seen with ARM and with uh, Apple. Uh, with their Apple Silicon, and that uh, really is a great thing. So um, if you're a PC aficionado and you don't know a lot about other architectures, just imagine an Intel Core CPU over here, an Intel Atom CPU over here, and a hardware controller that lets uh, the, the chip dynamically decide which one to use at which time. So you've got a performance and you've got efficiency. Um, and that's really cool. Uh, this is something that AMD has been doing well before Apple. And this is where uh, Intel's inspiration came from. So don't think that Intel is reacting to the M1. They had no time to do that. This thing was designed a year ago before anybody knew what the M1 was going to look like. Um, these CPUs are really nice. Um, you know, Intel is obviously, it, they've, they've advanced the architecture. Um, it also has some other, other nice features. It's got the next generation uh, GPU. Uh, it also has PCIe 5 and DDR5 memory, which is just great. Um, and I think that if there was no such thing as Apple Silicon, we would all be drooling over Alder Lake and waiting for this thing to come out. But there is, and my prediction is that Apple's next uh, Apple Silicon announcement, probably in a higher-end MacBook Pro, is going to absolutely clobber Alder Lake even before Alder Lake is launched because uh, it's probably going to have 16 high-performance cores or something like that. It's going to it's going to just clean the table with any x86 competition, just like the M1 does today. So so that's kind of the thing with uh, with Alder Lake. Now, Ice Lake is the underlying architecture of Alder Lake, Tiger Lake, all these other things. Uh, <laughs> I know Intel, thanks for all your code, code names. Um, Ice Lake was actually announced uh, in 2018. So this is not new, um, but this is the first time uh, at CES that we're hearing official word from Intel on an Ice Lake Xeon CPU. So um, essentially um, the, uh, the, the word is that Intel, and this was an official story, so we're allowed to talk about it. It's not some kind of secret breach of an embargo or something. Um, Intel announced that they are producing third generation Xeon scalable processors. That is uh, insider speak for Ice Lake. Um, Ice Lake is actually um, a big story when it comes to uh, the Xeon processors as well, because Intel, and many of you know that Intel has this process architecture optimization model where they improve the process. So they like go from, you know, 14 nanometer to 10 nanometer, which they recently did. Um, then they improve the architecture, which is sort of like the next generation chip. 
and then they improve, they launch an optimized version of that uh, CPU. And that's sort of their three-step, it used to be TikTok, now it's TikTok talk, I guess. Um, that's their three-step process. This is the talk, the one in the middle, where they're releasing major new features. Um, and, uh, and Ice Lake Xeon um, ought to be awesome, asterisk, because it includes PCI Express 5. It includes tons more cores. It includes 10 nanometer. I mean, basically AMD and, and frankly ARM have been wiping up the table with Intel in the data center space, just like they do in the mobile space. And this has been super bad news to Intel because how can they possibly compete when uh, competing processors have more cores, have PCIe Gen 4, and I think I might've said five, but Gen 4 and have um, you know, better architecture uh, than the Intel offerings. And um, the problem is Intel is, they, they, they keep delaying announcements or uh, shipment. Uh, you know, Ice Lake was supposed to come out over a year ago, I think, if I recall correctly. But anyway, it was supposed to come out a while ago. Uh, they were supposed to have a whole new chipset. They scrapped a chipset. Now they've got their next generation that's already out there. So, um, you know, Sapphire Rapids, we're looking for that. We're, we're hoping for that. It's supposed to be the end of this year. Um, if you're a data center provider and you have AMD here with PCIe 4, with lots and lots of cores, with a fairly mature server offering with Epic, um, and you can deploy it today, you're going to be deploying that, and 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 when then you're going to look at the Intel offering, and you're going to say, eh, do I want third generation Xeon scalable or not? I mean, I think Xeon is hoping that the answer is going to be yes, because this also goes hand in hand with the second generation Optane persistent memory and other Intel technologies. Um, and so I think what Intel is hoping is that they're going to be able to leapfrog AMD not on the basis of having a strong CPU, but on the basis of having a whole strong architecture for servers that's gonna be compelling enough to tear people away from Epic. The problem is we already know that PCIe Gen 5 and CXL and all this stuff is coming in the next generation and then the next generation is coming soon and that's gonna cause some problems. So um, my friend over at uh, Serve the Home, Patrick uh, Kennedy calls this Intel's ice pickle. Uh, those of you not Americans don't know what pickle is. It's basically when you're stuck between two things and you kind of have to decide which one you're going to do. Um, that's the problem here is that uh, server vendors are in a pickle and hyperscalers are in a pickle because they have to decide, do I want to adopt third generation Xeon scalable and all these other technologies if there's a new technology right around the corner and if I'm already adopting AMD. So great news asterisk for uh, the next generation Xeon scalable. All right. Well, Stephen, I know that we said that Intel had a couple of announcements, but quite honestly, we've had probably one of the biggest announcements that was just breaking as we're doing the recording of the rundown. Intel CEO Bob Swan has announced that effective February 15th, he will be stepping down from the company. His replacement is Pat Gelsinger, the current CEO of VMware. Um, Intel stock is up about 13% as the news has been broken. Uh, Bob Swan has been in charge of Intel since January 2019. He spent about seven months as the interim CTO, CEO, but then he was promoted to full CEO. Now, you'll probably notice that in the last two years, 
Intel has had a lot of challenges, and we've covered a lot of them here on the rundown. Uh, their 10 nanometer process being delayed, as Stephen just mentioned, shipping delays on a lot of their processors. Uh, it really feels like Intel has been lagging behind. And as we reported on the rundown last week, uh, one of their investments, uh, one of their investors has uh, petitioned the board to unlock some value from Intel. Um, and it looks like someone else is going to be doing that. Uh, it looks like we're going to see some changing of the guard at Intel. And uh, there's been calls in recent months for the uh, CEO of the company to be someone who's a little bit more technical. And quite honestly, I can't think of anyone who's more technical than Pat Gelsinger. Now, you're probably wondering, well, where did that come from? Well, it turns out Pat Gelsinger used to be the CFO of Intel. So it looks like they're, they're bringing some of the friends back home to roost. Stephen, I know we didn't have a whole lot of time to react to this because this literally is just breaking news. But what are your thoughts on, on Swan stepping down to bring Gelsinger in to run the ship? Sorry, per, let me pick my jaw up off the floor first, Tom. Um, I, those of you who don't know, this literally just came out. Like it's not, we, we had no prep for this. So let me just think about this for a second. Okay, well, first let me point out that uh, Gelsinger was not the CFO of Intel. He was the CTO of Intel. That's an important differentiator. I, don't, I think that that was just a slip of the tongue, Tom. That was a slip of the tongue, you are correct. Um, yeah. It looks like Bob Swan used to be the CFO of and Intel. That's exactly it. Okay, so here, let's, so let's get this straight. So CTO of Intel says, you know what? I don't think I'm ever gonna get to be the CEO. So I'm gonna jump over to, let me think, Microsoft. And he becomes, you know, a huge important person. Uh, he is, uh, he goes to uh, EMC. Um, well, actually that's, I don't think he did. Did he go to Microsoft? But he, anyway, I'm sorry. I am totally unprepared for this. He, he was involved in Microsoft. He definitely uh, went to EMC. Um, he became uh, the CEO of VMware. He is extremely well-respected. Let me tell you, I have met Pat uh, many times. I have sat in his, uh, in his discussions. Um, this is, this guy's the man. This is like an A plus player. Um, and, and if anyone deserves to sit in the Intel CEO chair, it's Pat Gelsinger. That's my response. Um, you know, I'm just I, 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 flabbergasted here. Um, I'm just remember, okay. Another person who is the man is Michael Dell. Uh, Michael Dell and Pat Gelsinger sharing a podium and, uh, and speaking to analysts at uh, Dell Tech World was a thing to behold because you basically had two people who have every right to be in charge of the biggest technology companies in the world. Um, and they're both basically at the same company because remember Dell owns VMware. Um, having Pat move over to Intel, boom. Good job, Intel. I, I don't know, I don't yeah. know what else to say. Good job, Intel. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree more. And like you said, I've had conversations with Pat Gelsinger and he is very much a person who listens before he gives a response. And, and if you've worked in technology long enough, you know how hard that is to find. Pat is brilliant and measured. And I think that that's what Intel needs right now. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Pat was at Intel forever. And then, you know, like you said, the path to CEO usually doesn't run through the CTO's office. So he moved over to EMC and eventually got in charge of VMware. We always talk about rock star hires. Who do we want to bring in to shake things up and just make headlines? Intel did it. Like, like you cannot find a bigger person to come in and write this ship. 
he is basically the admiral that can move the yep. carrier group, not just the whole aircraft carrier, the whole group. Because yeah, if you're not familiar with him, let me just say this. Um, rock stars, this is Mick Jagger. This is Dr. Dre. This is not just some, like, this is not like the guy from Hootie and the Blowfish. Like, like, like this, <laughs> this is the man in, in yeah. tech. Yeah, and so what you get is a super technical person who knows their way around the company and where it used to be, and quite honestly, is working from a technical perspective, not a financial one. So I don't know that this is going to appease their activist investors as much as they would have liked, but I promise you it's going to bring them back to prominence. And like you said, the relationship that he already has with someone like Michael Dell means that Dell is probably going to be positioned very well with the Intel lineup to take on Apple in that space. I'm not saying that there's gonna be any insider stuff going on, but I'm gonna say that when Michael Dell is gonna pick up the phone to figure out what's going on with Intel, I'm pretty sure it's gonna ring right to Pat Gelsinger's desk. So this is a developing story and I'm sure we're gonna be covering a lot more information about it on the rundown as the weeks go on and we find out more about it, but you know, Hats off to Intel. I know you've taken some shots at the in the rundown and from the community recently because of some of the troubles that you've had. But boy, when you need to tee off on a three-two pitch to hit a home run to win the game, I think you might have just done it. A absolutely, um, yeah. And, and let me correct what I said before. Uh, Pat didn't go to Microsoft. What I'm thinking of is, and this is actually important to this uh, understanding here. Pat was the one who was supposed to replace Balmer as the CEO of Microsoft. Essentially, when, when Microsoft was looking for a new CEO, every, like if the rundown had existed at the time, we would be all like, oh, it's going to be Pat Gelsinger. It's going to be Pat Gelsinger because he was so involved with Microsoft and so involved with Intel and such a respected person. Now, Microsoft picked Satya Nadella, which frankly, uh, uh, you know, Satya's right up there too. I mean, you know, these are some of the best minds. And I don't just mean that from like a, like a fanboy perspective. I mean that from an analyst perspective. You look at what Pat and Michael Dell and Satya Nadella and people like that have done at these companies, they have done everything right. And they have managed to take a company that should, I, I mean, I don't want to be mean, but tech, you know, there's a short lifespan in tech. Uh, a PC maker that was founded in Michael Dell's, uh, you know, basement or whatever, um, you know, should be dead by now. It should not be a dominant force in the entire industry. And it is. And that comes down to management. And that management comes down to Michael Dell. Microsoft should be dead today because they had to transform the company. They did. Satya deserves credit for that. Intel is, I mean, if you listen to what we've just said, even what I just said before I heard this news, Intel was in an existential crisis, not being able to do the thing they're supposed to do. And if there's anyone in the world that can help them to do it, it's this guy. So I, uh, yeah, this is tr tr tremendous news. All right. And, well, and the last thing they to... needed was a freaking CFO as their CEO. Let me just say that. They need a CTO as their CTO, CEO and they just got it. Yo. For more executive hiring tips, please make sure you tune in to The Rundown every week. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close it here because we're running out of time. <clears throat>
that should just about do it for this episode of the Gestalt IT Rundown. As you can see, big news breaks all the time, and you're going to want to make sure you tune in every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern Time to get our take on what's going on in the technology industry and learn a little bit of some of your favorite enterprise IT companies. You can also read some of our analysis and reactions over at our website at gestaltit.com, where you can find recorded episodes of this um, weekly show, as well as some of the other things that we've got going on. Um, Stephen, you've got some big things on the calendar. What's going on? with you in the next week uh, does anything else matter i don't know oh yeah that's right there's storage field day um yeah so uh storage field day is next week um uh, wednesday through friday please tune in uh learn about storage stuff um we got a company called intel presenting um and that's going to be a lot of fun um you know uh yeah storage yeah but i i, don't, I can't even talk right now it's storage field day yo yeah, see that he's so excited. It's it's so much storage that he can't he can't even begin to express himself. Um, I have an episode of the conversations coming out uh, tomorrow on Thursday, the 14th. We're going to be talking about zero trust security, maybe touching on some of the topics that were discussed here in the rundown and, and, and exploring them in a little bit more depth when we have a little bit more time to explore it. But make sure you check out gestaltit.com for all of the information that you're going to want to digest. And please make sure you tune in for the rundown next week and every week thereafter in 2021, because it looks like the 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 two-week free trial has paid off handsomely for 2021, and I think we're going to have a lot of great stuff headed your way. So for myself, uh, Tom Hollingsworth, for Stephen Foskett, and the rest of the Gestalt IT team, um, thanks for tuning in, and we hope that you all have a very super sparkly day.